clubhouse. Welcome back from a galaxy far, far away to the How Uncivilized podcast. This is your host, Paul, with Mark, as usual. Hey, Paul. And we're here to round out what's hopefully just the first season of Obi-Wan Kenobi with part six. First impressions, Mark, what'd you think about this one? Oh, man, much excitement. Much excitement, Paul. Good times. Uh, you, you texted me and said, if it was just this one episode, I'd be good. And I thought that was funny. But, oh, man, I mean, we had Obi-Wan Kenobi unleashed. But I think if you press me, just what's the one thing was just that heartbreaking confrontation where, you know, Anakin, he says he's gone and I am what remains. It's just so brutal. There were a lot of key heartbreaker moments in this episode, we'll split the episode in half and look at Obi-Wan and Anakin's plot and then Reva and the homesteaders, the Lars family, separately. Is it bad that I didn't even really, I, like, Luke is in mortal danger. Luke Skywalker. Is it, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> Can we get back to the to Vader and Anakin or, you know, and Obi-Wan? That'd be great. <laughs> well, that that's one of the central flaws of this kind of show is, is that the stakes for the people that we know survive is always kind of transparent. We know they live, you know, so, so any, any danger, any peril that they're put in, we know, we absolutely know that they get out of it. Yeah. And it's interesting that the folks that grew up with the prequel trilogy, even though we grew up with the OG trilogy, you know, we still really like the world building from the prequels. And so we were more focused almost on that relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. Of course, that, that bridges both trilogies. So that's probably why it's even more impactful. Going back to one of the comments you said earlier in the podcast about Reva bringing the hate, the way Anakin slash Darth Vader goes back and forth with Obi-Wan throughout their fight, you could really tell that he definitely hates Obi-Wan. Like whatever remnant or residue of their previous relationship that could be there is has been wiped out by the hate that he's been harboring for him all these years. He's not really in there at this point. And uh, I was really curious how they were going to play that because, you know, he is conflicted. And I thought maybe, you know, like the fact that in episode three, he let him live, right? Mm -hmm. um, is that showing him some love there? Or was it like, you know, the, the colder interpretation that he wanted him at a higher standard to defeat him that way? I don't know. That's a tough one. I think I think he really is conflicted. And I think we saw Palpatine, which, by the way, we got to see see that little cameo, um, that was which cool. was great. You know, he kind of dogged on him for that. It's like, oh, you, you're feeling, you have feelings for your master. I wonder if your thoughts are clear on this, Lord Vader. Perhaps your feelings for your old master have left you weakened. And he's like, no, bro, you know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> nah, mm -mm, no. Mm -mm. He's like, no, I, I just, I'm good. I just had the whole ship divert away from a ship full of rebels and go after this one guy. But never mind that. I'm sure there's no record of that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, George Lucas always said you could call Star Wars, you could rename it to the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. That's the story throughout the whole thing. You know, so I guess in this point in time, he is truly gone and of course it adds more weight to the the line that vader betrayed and murdered your father you know i think there's some stuff in here that really it does add more weight to what we see in the original trilogy yeah of course there there's also i think a few problems 
for example, when Ben, Obi-Wan, when he transforms into a force ghost and distracts Vader away from Luke and Leia on the Death Star, Luke's like, oh, I sure do miss Ben. And Leia's like, yeah, that sucks for you. And she, we didn't really get like a big, re- <laughs> <laughs> you know, she didn't really react. It's like, well, now they have this huge connection and it's like, wouldn't she have reacted? So that's, I think that's a little bit of a problem. What do you think? It is. It is. I think there's one line in their farewells at the very end of the episode. He says something to the effect of that no one can know that they have this relationship in order for everybody to be safe. But we must be careful. No one must know, or it could endanger us both. And I think that is just the one little thread, and I don't think it's great, but I think that's the one thread that's supposed to draw all the way to her rather impersonal message that she left for Obi-Wan with R2. You might be able to say, well, if there were any personal forms of address or anything in that message that could have fallen in to enemy hands, maybe that would be somehow worse later. I, I don't know. That's the really loose way that I was getting to rationalizing how she doesn't know him. <laughs> yeah. So she took it so, so his words so seriously that even after he's dead, she's like, OK, I'm not even going to reveal that even to Luke. You know, in a way, that's not bad. I mean, she just met Luke, really, at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you were, you were mentioning offline, and I've seen in other places, you know, the meaning of choosing Ben for her child's name later. And I'm wondering if I'm giving, my, giving the Star Wars uh, brain trust too much credit for seeing this series coming as far away as 2015 when they were getting ready to put out The Force Awakens, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing that this relationship was there. Is that too much credit? No, that's interesting. That That's the, I guess, the final word there in the timeline. They always said that, you know, episode seven was Han's movie. And of course it was all about Han and his death and patricide, whatnot. And then episode eight was going to be Luke's movie. And then episode nine was going to be Leia's movie. But then of course, Carrie Fisher died. Right. So I kind of wondered if as they were constructing this show, that's one one thing they wanted to do was kind of honor the Leia character because the, the original trilogy really did focus on Luke. So by focusing on Leia and this one, bringing that character out, they maybe got to do something they didn't, didn't get to do with Carrie Fisher. Interesting take. I bet that's part of the motivation somewhere in there. For whatever people say about Kathleen Kennedy, she's getting some right and some wrong in terms of what the fans want to see out of the franchise, but she's more or less the connective tissue between everything that gets approved (laughs) to be done with with Star Wars movies and TV. That makes sense that some guiding hand up in the Disney Lucasfilm brain trust would want to see that happen. And I mean, there was just a lot of, while we're on the subject of tying things up, Obi-Wan said, if you ever need my help again, you know, you know where to find me. Well, if you ever need my help again, you know where to find me. Of course, we we see that in episode four. So I did think they wrapped it up really pretty nicely with a bow on it. I absolutely agree. In terms of thinking of a season two, I don't see where they left us a ton of room to give us a very satisfying season two. Yeah, there could be some working to protect Luke, per se. But on the other hand, I think he's supposed to remain very elusive in in Luke's life. Yes, he got to meet him at the end of this episode, but I don't think they're going to be pals. I don't think Owen's going to be inviting him over for dinner. Yeah, I think we really got Obi-Wan's character arc totally complete. In the beginning, in episode one, he was anxious, fearful. 
trying to control things in a way and just shell-shocked. And then by the end of it, he really did, as evidenced by his change in, in the idea of Luke's training. In the beginning, he said, well, he must be trained, you know? And then by the end of it, he's like, oh, and you got this. You're all he needs. He needs to be a kid. The future will take care of itself. You know, you were right. He just needs to be a boy. The future will take care of itself. And, and really, I think this is what the Jedi got wrong. And this is what Qui-Gon brought to the table this, with this concept of the living force and just kind of trusting in the force. I think with his attempted apology to Vader, um, which was so genuine and heartfelt. I mean, Ewan McGregor is just so good. I mean, just amazing performance. And then even come and clean to Leia and be like, you know, hey, look, I want to tell you about your parents. Sorry, I can't tell you more. He kind of unburdened himself with his guilt. And then he's just kind of chilled out. Alec Guinness version of Obi-Wan. And then, you know, of course, boom, we get we get Qui-Gon, which I'm conflicted about, I must say, because I was kind of hoping Qui-Gon's appearance would contribute to the story, be very impactful. Well, it does contribute to that concept that you just mentioned a second ago about the completeness of his arc. Yeah. So in other words, he got enlightened by his journey through this season, if you will, because, you know, almost like the Buddha achieves enlightenment. Boom. Now you can see Qui-Gon. That's an interesting interpretation they went with. And it answers uh, one of our questions we had earlier. Had he ever made contact with Qui-Gon? The answer is no. <laughs> he right. Hadn't, he hadn't managed to do it yet. Yeah. Because people have said, you know, and then why didn't Qui-Gon show up, let's say, at the end of Return of the Jedi, when Luke is looking at Force Ghost, Anakin, and Yoda, and everybody. Um, and I guess maybe you have to have a connection with the person to be able to see them as a Force Ghost. I think that kind of makes sense. And then the Sith could never see him because, you know, I, I threw out the idea of Qui-Gon intervening in their fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe that that's not part of the shtick of the universe is that, you know, Sith can't see a Force Ghost. Interesting. I, I don't know. I tend to think that they could, but it, but again, kind of dogmatically, given the, the sorts of things that they're meant to believe in and kind of the more meditative, peaceful nature of communing with a ghost as opposed to, I don't know, I've seen, I've, I've seen where, where forced spirits like Exar Kun or whatever his name is uh, would interact with people in like novels and games and things. And he was definitely a malignant force spirit. I know that's not canon anymore. No, good point. They did that in, um, in the Clone Wars and stuff a lot too. Um, I don't know if it was Bane or Revan. They would kind of bring him back as... Yeah, yeah. The original Sith, the OG Sith. <laughs> the OG Sith, exactly. Which, which, which I don't know that much about. My son's reading the novels right now and telling me about it, like Bane and stuff. I'm like, oh, wow, it sounds really cool. <laughs> the Rule of Two and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the ones where it started because uh, there were Sith armies, but there was way too much infighting. There was always jockeying for control. So as long as there was a defined master and defined apprentice, then um, then they would go and uh, manipulate other people to do their fighting. But they found out that they only could stand to have the two, the two Sith. Otherwise, they'd always be fighting each other. Yeah, that's genius. Whoever came up, I guess, I don't know if George came up with that, but that's that's really cool. I'm not sure where it came up either. Whether it was just always two there are from the... from. Uh, episode one kind of extrapolating out to why would there always be a two? And then maybe novelists or comic writers came up with like the rationale or maybe, maybe it was George all along. I'm not sure. Well, there's a great fight in this, in this episode. 
I'm hopeful to believe that Hayden was inside that armor doing all of the all that stunt work because we have never really seen Darth Vader move like that. And it was kind of neat to see him moving probably to the maximum capability of someone wearing all that <laughs> that armor. Yeah, I think they I think that was confirmed that in that last episode it was it was him. So cool. There were different moments in the fight, such as Vader gets the initial upper hand by capturing, or not even capturing, more like creating the high ground. Yeah, I had the same <laughs> thought. He did the, the Hulk smash and, and then, yeah, you know, there's no high ground. Okay, fine. I'm going to create some. That's hilarious. <laughs> right. um, they didn't have to outright say it, but uh, that totally worked. Yeah, there was so much there. I mean, and then the Obi-Wan you know, being unleashed. We saw in episode five, Vader was holding a ship. So what did you think about when Vader's in a frenzy burying him with the, the rocks and he has that flashback and he thinks about the injustice going on with the Empire and flashes of Luke and Leia and how, you know, they need him. And that gives him, that kind of fuels his force connection and gives him motivation to, you know, no, I've got to, I've got to win. It's a terrific contrast to the kinds of imagery that feed the Sith you know, all the things that have ever gone wrong for them versus all the people that need you and all the people that are depending on you and all the reasons you have to stand up and fight and push the tons of granite off your face. It comes from very different places emotionally. And that speaks to the the nature of the two sides of the force. Oh, exactly. And then Vader coming off so powerful and strong and everything. And then, and then we see, you know, I knew the mask, the mask thing was coming. We, we had to have that. And, you know, once we see, we see that and we see how pathetic Anakin is at this point, um, it's just a huge contrast. And then of course, Obi-Wan seeking forgiveness. And then I, I was kind of thinking, it's kind of like he had to have his um, Padme moment where Padme was like, you know, you're going down a path I can't follow. And, um, you know, cause Obi-Wan's trying to connect with him, bring Anakin out. And then it's just nothing there. If we get a freaking nightmare, Michael Jackson from Thriller, uh, <laughs> you know, version of Anakin. And once he, he had that moment, then he's like, okay, see you later, Darth. So had people already put together that his helmet would need to be slashed in the spot where he had that scar when he's unmasked in Return of the Jedi? You know, I don't know about that. I know that when he fought Ahsoka and on Malachor in the Sith Temple, she did the same thing. She slashed him, but it was on the other side of his face. Mm. And he and he had Sith eyes in that one. In this one, I was like, I wonder why he didn't have the Sith eyes. Well, he's, you know, he still has much learning to do. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's it. But I'm thinking this is where that scar comes from. And it also, like when I said that it doesn't leave much room for a season two in terms of making it as good as this one, I don't know that these two can meet again. Otherwise, it detracts from the from the meaning of the of the final fight in a new hope you know if they just keep meeting and meeting and meeting all those words i mean we meet again at last all that stuff i've been waiting for you Obi-Wan. we meet again at last it, it lessens and lessens if they just met like last summer and had a fight <laughs> you know what i mean yeah i think i think what they might do if, if we get the season two it might be a completely different plot line that more focuses on the rebels versus the empire and Obi-Wan's kind of helping behind the scenes, but yet maybe they kind of see each other from a distance and Vader's like, ah, oh, blast, you know, he's helping him again. And, but they don't have a direct confrontation. Yeah. If there's going to be a season two, they're going to have to be pretty creative about how that comes to be. Cause as awesome as it is, they can't keep fighting each other. No. 
you know, the whole thing where, you know, last time we met, I was the learner and you were the master. All that, you know, all that all takes that, yeah. less meaning if they keep fighting. Because it really works because he really did school in this time. Um, so that, that line holds up really well. The circle is now complete. When I left you, I was but the learner. Now I am the master. Yeah. You know, we're, we're both very invested in this property um in this show in this movie so we need <laughs> those connective tissues to really work you know they in terms of prequel elements they can't flat out contradict and break established 40 year old lines that's why we have to come up with these ideas of how can it be that that leia is rather impersonal with obi-wan later well okay well this this might be the reason well what about these other lines um, when i left you i was a learner but now i'm the master all that all that stuff and you're right it still is that is more okay than the than the leia stuff I'm cool with like a 5% margin of error, <laughs> you know, like there's some wiggle room, but you can't, you can't do too much. You know, you got to stick with it. Like you were saying, the I killed Anakin, that element of it. You didn't kill Anakin Skywalker. I did feeds right in to the certain point of view fed to Luke in uh, A New Hope. A young Jedi named Darth Vader, who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil, helped the Empire hunt down and destroy the Jedi Knights. He betrayed and murdered your father. Betrayed yeah, and no, murdered your perfect. father. Yeah, that was perfect. And it, and it worked for, you know, where Anakin is at right there. He's barely in there. You know, I do kind of wish Obi-Wan could have thrown out my line that I predicted, you know, because he he's sitting on that knowledge about Padme's last last final words was a plea for him to come back to the light. I know. I know there's still. If he's trying to get through to him, that might that might be the best way, because that's what he's obsessed with Padme, you know, so I thought they could have used that. I, I would have liked to have seen that scene. But at the same time, the, the, what we got was simple. There wasn't a whole lot of dialogue, but it was very powerful and it worked well. There isn't a whole lot more to cover with that storyline. I mean, there's a few moments narratively before he leaves Roken's ship. The exchange that he had with Roken was nice. And it almost seems like a, a dangling thread to create a new character to spin mm -hmm. off with. Yeah. Roken. There are not many leaders left. People follow you. Don't stop. Just get started. And the chat that he had with Leia before he needed to go about how he didn't exactly explain it, but you know, she's a kid. So how much could she quite get with understanding the previous relationship? Yada, yada, yada. However, those two scenes come after the point where he decides, I need to go. These people are going to die if I stay here. And, but he takes like 10 more minutes <laughs> saying goodbye. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a Star Destroyer chasing them, kind of using one of the, the least plausible elements of, of The Last Jedi's um, plot, which is like the, the big fat ship slowly chasing you just can't seem to hit you. <laughs> yeah. I had the same thought about that. 
Yeah, and I think he was doing a Luke moment where, you know, he's got to confront Lord Vader and he's got to get right in his head for that. I've read something, hopefully on topic. I can't identify the various kind of uh, Star Destroyers on site because they all generally look the same. Um, it's just a matter of like size is their, is their biggest distinguishing feature. Without a lot of them next to each other, you can't tell one from the other. Isn't that, I think it's supposed to be the Destroyer, which is Vader's Star Destroyer? But it kind of depends on period in time, right? Because like the Clone Wars had different models uh, than did the Empire 20 years later. Although they were generally kind of similar looking. They had the arrowhead shape with the conning tower, etc. So I was reading in one of the role-playing game books that kind of a, a middle ground Star Destroyer was the Victory class Star Destroyer that came between the Clone Wars and before the, uh, I think they called it like the Imperial class or something like that. And... It was a smaller Star Destroyer. It looked the same, except it had a slow sublight speed. So it could go as fast as any other ship in light speed. But when it came to chasing down other ships in sublight, it was a dog. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll buy into that. So let's go with they were in a victory class because of the time period. The executor still had a long time to go. The Super Star Destroyer was years off. Yeah, and it was also cool to see the Lambda class T4A. Thank you very much. Um, nice. That Vader, yeah, you would always see Palpatine and Vader shuttling around on those things. Bring my ship. Yeah. He uses the same kind of thing uh, when he leaves Cloud City and when he arrives on the Death Star. So, yeah. The... And is that the same as the toy that Luke had that Obi Wan gave him? That is a uh, T16, I think. Okay. Yeah, a little different. Okay. Yeah, that's more of a one-seater when in A New Hope when he says, But it's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than team eaters. Because he had one. He had a full-size one um, that's briefly seen in A New Hope. You don't see him flying it. You just see it like past one of the doorways that he walks oh, cool. through. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in 77, they couldn't do anything with it. It's a very subtle nod because it's, he's playing with the toy but then like right outside the little room where he's fixing up the droids i think you can actually see the full one but it's 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 just so little of it that you can see because it's so big that it's hard to hard to tell That's cool. <laughs> i might have to put a picture in the uh in the podcast description uh on the website so people know what i'm talking about Paul, I could go on for <laughs> i could go on for a while to be honest with you but no just one thing that i thought was cool i mean we get the, the meek voice from Anakin and it was almost like due to his injury, he was kind of slurring his words. Yeah. Um, and apparently in legends stuff, he really was only able to whisper, just barely whisper. And that's the AI, if you will, would translate it into the robot voice, which kind of makes sense. So, so you could argue that the straight familiar Anakin voice was a little bit possibly off, but that worked really well and, and, and called out that contrast. Um, so that was cool. And just the sounds, you know, from the, the breathing machine getting destroyed. And I, I really loved how the robot voice was glitching in and out. You know, yeah. the mechanism, you know, it would switch from Vader to Anakin and just echoing the conflict in him. I am not your failure, Obi-Wan. That was awesome. Another, another element of that was how... A lot of people have said over the years that I've ever talked with in very deeply nerdy conversations is why don't people just attack the chest plate? That appears to have a lot of meaning 
you know, the chest plate. And Obi-Wan goes after it pretty hardcore at a certain point there. And that's when his breathing gets really screwed up. Absolutely. So, so question for you. So why did Obi-Wan let him live? Do you think, I mean, is it, is it because it's just not the Jedi way? Cause he's, he had been defeated. He was basically unarmed. So what is your take on that? It's a combination of it's not the Jedi way and it's Obi-Wan still can't bring himself to kill the guy. I mean, he thought of himself as an older brother for so long. He just can't do it. He just can't do it. Yeah, even still, he just can't do it. And then also, you know, George always described Obi-Wan as the compass that the story revolves around. He's like the straight man. He is the epitome of a Jedi. So I think maybe they're just keeping him like that. He's become, my brother pointed out, he's just become like the like a great guy. You know, pretty funny. Me and my brother went to see Revenge he'd of the Sith. take you to the airport. Yeah, he'd take you to the airport. He'd take you out for your birthday, whatever. But yeah, we saw Revenge of the Sith back in the day, and we both had to pee like crazy. And it was so good. We were so invested, you know, we just, we couldn't do it. So we like had the longest pee um, in the history of mankind <laughs> afterwards. And... <laughs> they would talk about it always. <laughs> the McNutt brothers peed that day. <laughs> All right. Well, let's scoot over to Reva and her magical appearance on okay. Tatooine. In the last podcast episode, we discussed how the heck was she going to get off the planet? Turns out it doesn't matter. No one apparently cares, even though they were on a very remote planet with no other ships around. Uh, she manages to to get to Tatooine before even the fight or the, the chase is even half concluded in space between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan. What the crap? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I just went with it, but that's that's a good point. And also, apparently in Star Wars, a lightsaber to the gut is no biggie. <laughs> no biggie, no biggie. You, there's there's like a sweet spot in your gut that apparently in your lifetime, you can take at least two. <laughs> right, at least two. And uh, as long as you have a sense of revenge, you're good. Well, there is something in canon particularly with dark side users that allows them to take pretty mortal damage and keep going. Kylo Ren did. He he took a few bowcaster bolts in The Force Awakens from Uncle Chewie. And if you recall, he was kind of driven by it and he kept pounding on on the wound, on his gut mm, and even though he's bleeding helps. in the snow. Yes, yeah. right. There's something sustaining about it that to the rest of us, to the light users or normal humans, we would just probably drop. But to them, the pain drives them. Yes. Yeah, Palpatine tells Vader, Padme is giving you a gift of pain. You know, will you accept it? You know, because it basically fuels his, his power in the dark side. I think that's it. That is what we're supposed to get out of her ability to survive. Now, her ability to just relocate to Tatooine... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's or a, what about when she re, when she redeems herself and and turns to the light? Would she not fall over dead? <laughs> well, I think she would want to seek some some uh, medical assistance because there are just massive wounds that are only cauterized, you know, inside. They're not fixed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right. we're all, all those various uh, tubes and arteries inside are supposed to go someplace. They're not just supposed to end. I, I guess the only way you could explain it is that that slow chase you were talking about just lasted a lot longer than any any would would thought. And Reva had enough time to hyperdrive away. Yeah, I guess I guess 
Yeah. We got to go with that. That we yeah. had no choice. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, she was there. What I liked, you know, once I had to erase my brain about how she got there, I had to just accept that she was there. Once I did that, then I just looked at her engagement with the Larses. And what I found with that was highly encouraging and gave me a cool insight into what happened on the farm when the stormtroopers showed up looking for Luke in A New Hope, a scene we didn't see. We just saw the bodies. Oh, so in other words, they probably fought back then, too. That is my guess, is that Baru especially was like, uh, you know, our number's up, but we're not going down without a fight. Because that's the way she was in this one. Yeah, I guess if you're having to live out in the tough conditions of Tatooine, you'd be pretty tough. So, yeah, I kind of, I like that, too. I liked how Brew was like, let's go. She was hardcore. She wasn't screwing around. She went and got the rifles. I mean, Owen, once once his head was in the game, he was like, all right, I'm in it. But it took a second, right? Yeah, absolutely. That was awesome. What do you think about Owen told a white lie and said, oh, the Tusken Raiders are maybe coming, so we got to hide. Now, Luke, I need you to listen to me. The Tuscans are on the hunt again. They're raiding farms along the waste. So stay in here. If anything goes wrong, you you know what to do. You run. I'm not afraid. I know. And then Brew was like, run, Luke. And, you know, he's going up the ladder and he's not looking backwards. So the question is, did he see the red blade? Because when he gets the lightsaber from Obi-Wan later on, he's like, oh, this is cool. What is this? And he's playing with it. And if he had been, you know, mortally chased by this creature in the desert with a red lightsaber, I think he might remember that. <laughs> And then he, you know, he got knocked out. So maybe he just, just didn't remember it and just thought they were Tusken Raiders. And we're going to go with that because you're right. He didn't appear to have seen uh, a functioning lightsaber before, even though he kind of took to it quickly. Someone that could have died with connection to one previous in their life would tend to be kind of careful around it. And then in A New Hope, he was playing with it. That's a great narrative point to help with the connective tissue that I had overlooked myself. Yeah. And what do you think? So her plan, her motivation to kill Luke was like, okay, I'm going to go, I'm going to kill the child you didn't know you had and then go tell you about it. Was that the game? <laughs> uh, that makes pretty good sense. That makes pretty good sense. Yeah. Cause I mean, Anakin killed the younglings, her friends. So right. she wants to, that, and then she's going for the revenge. So it does make sense. It's just a little weird. Cause you'd be like, Hey, guess what? You had this, or I guess, multiple children. You know, she's walking away with that knowledge as well into the future, which is interesting. There's been an inordinate amount of discussion about her character over the course of this series, whether they chose the right actress, you know, this, that, and the other. And I think we talked about it in the, in the last episode, but just to review, she is a character who is only about 20 years old. Regardless of what you think the actor is or actress is, she is a character who's only about 20 years old. And this is an age when our decision-making skills and our personalities at the time feel very awesome. You know, like we are complete people, but to those that are older than us will we'll tell us that we are actually jackasses and we have a lot to learn. However, she's been invested with massive physical powers and office. You know, she is an inquisitor. She's been given a lot of say-so about how things play out in other people's lives. So this has given someone with uh, an imbalance in her personality a kind of a corrupting power, you know, making her way more powerful than a 20-year-old should be. So if you combine all that stuff and you get kind of this jackass, hateable person, like Reva has been most of the time, it starts to make a lot more sense to me. 
yeah, this this episode really changed because we were all kind of a little bit confused about her character and the writing, and she stuck out so much from from the other Inquisitors, let's say. And you know, I think the actress did a, did a pretty good job, but but the writing was a little bit off at times. I, I feel like, but um, I do think looking back at the end, you're like, okay, now I see what they were going for. And I, I remember in episode one, we talked about maybe this character will be because we saw from the trailers they interact. So I was like, okay, maybe Obi-Wan will be able to convert her to the light and succeed where he failed with Anakin. And that would be a good parallel. And that's what we ended up getting. But it was, you know, they didn't really spend that much time together. And he dropped a few a few lines of knowledge on her there at the end and, you know, basically said, no, you're honoring the younglings and by not killing Luke and, yeah. not, you know, succumbing to the dark side. You haven't failed them by showing mercy. You have given them peace. You have honored them. So I, I liked that part of it, but it just, it, it did felt a little bit quick and forced, but you kind of bought the fact, man, she just couldn't do it. Then she maybe questioned, okay, what am I doing with this whole dark side thing? I can't, if I can't do this, I can't do the whole dark side thing. I don't know. I, I still feel like it's something, I can't quite put my finger on it, but something didn't really work super well. But then I am curious, okay, now she's out there in the universe. How does that, maybe she just walks away from the whole game. That was we my guess. Yeah, yeah. That, that was my guess. If we don't get season two, I think she's walking away from the force life. <laughs> you know, I don't think she's going to be a force for good or bad. I I think she's just going to, you know, put in her application at the crate dragon uh, butcher and... Um, <laughs> And the Tatooine maybe, redneck. Or she may find another plan, or she may feel like, you know, self-imposed exile is the best way to to keep her from being tempted to hurt other people. You know, if we get season two, I would not be surprised if we come into episode one and it's like, boom, she's Obi-Wan's apprentice. Well, that would be kind of something unforeseen. Interesting. Because, you know, she'd have to be gone by the time of A New Hope. But Oh, yeah. Maybe that's that could be a thing. She's she's his apprentice and then something happens. I mean, he, she gets end up maybe Vader ends up actually killing her. That's a doable story. As long as the focus is still on Obi-Wan. It's kind of been a criticism of some like property revivals of late where the property that's being revived is, say, Obi-Wan Kenobi or He-Man or something like that. And the actual product that, that people get is, you know, 25% that character. And then other characters take up a lot more narrative space, performing like a, a bait and switch in, in some consumers' minds. You know, I don't know if you saw the Kevin Smith He-Man revival on Netflix, but I did, yeah. But Adam and and He-Man were comparatively small compared to like Tila and some of the other classic characters. I think that's why they called it Masters of the Universe uh, rather than uh, straight up He-Man. <laughs> but uh, still, people had that concern with this that it had turned into the Leia show or something like that. We had to build some amount of the conflict around needing to help Leia's situation. But once Vader got his sights on Obi-Wan, then that's where everything went. All of the focus that Leia had taken up narratively went away. You know, like in like the previous episode, she's hiding for most of the episode. In this one, she's on a ship back to Alderaan. We don't even see it. Yeah, and whether you liked it or bought into it or not, that was Obi-Wan's motivation along with Tala. Uh, which, you know, inspired him to fully embrace his, the Force, his mojo, and fight back. It definitely felt like we went on that journey and it worked pretty well. And uh, 
they tied it up and to your point, season two, what <laughs> it, it's going to have to be creative. Um, they have to do something different. A couple of things I wanted to point out that, um, a couple of friends of mine had pointed out to me, so I cannot take credit for them was that some big brain out there has already re-edited the final Darth Vader and Obi-Wan fight back to the duel of the heroes, I think is what it was called. Okay. The music. Yeah. I did feel like the music was a little lackluster in the whole show. What about you? I'll send you the link to um, the one that's re-edited to the fight music from Revenge of the Sith. That feels right. On the other hand, I've noticed as a, as a watcher of Star Wars media that that particular theme is only used for that fight and never again and never before. Yeah, that makes it kind of like the duel, duel, duel of the fates uh, in episode one. I don't, they may have busted that out. No, they did bust that out a few more times, I think. I think that does thematically come up a little bit here and there, but the duel of the heroes, I think, stands alone. It adds a lot of weight, you know, whenever that comes up. So you wouldn't just want to throw that around if you've decided to kind of sequester it after all these years. So it is a fan cut, but tell you what, it works. And then another thing that a friend of mine named Sheila, a co-host on many podcasts at Pod Clubhouse, has pointed out was the parallel with Reva seen carrying Luke's body back to the Lars homestead can be compared almost exactly to Anakin carrying Shmi's body back in Attack of the Clones, with the difference being, of course, that Reva didn't kill anybody, whereas, in this case, (laughs) whereas Anakin had just slaughtered them all, even the younglings. Yes, that that's perfect. That, that's that had to be intentional. And that that that's a great point because uh Reva was Anakin in reverse where Obi-Wan was able to, you know, redeem her and help her and uh and that's a good, you know, way to end the 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 season and it's a big win for Obi-Wan. And thumbs up to Sheila for pointing it out and make, helping me sound smart. Yeah, no, that's great. Love that. <laughs> okay, well, all in all, This series did not deliver for a lot of fans what they were hoping for, but for this fan, it gave me what I was hoping for. Overall, visually, it's funny, like, it looked like Star Wars, it felt like Star Wars, however, visually, it didn't have flair or, like, panache or, like, style, per se, to be like, this is definitely, like, this feels like a unique something. You know, like, when you watch The Mandalorian, whether it's kind of that reedy whistle music or whatever that comes through that's, that's like, this is definitely, I'm watching The Mandalorian. That kind of visual styling is bland here. Does that make sense? It, like, it looks, it looks like Star Wars, but not, like, distinctly something unique. Yeah, I, I see what you mean, but I, I think it... I don't know if it's just the time, the the filmmaking, the the volume they use to film it, but uh, I mean, like that fight scene. I mean, just the atmosphere set where you had the that planet, our moon, and, and the darkness and the 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 moon in the background. You can mm-hmm. see and just the, you know the standoff between the two and the the tension, the atmosphere there was great. And I, I I thought visually there's some just amazing stuff, but I do think there is a little bit of inconsistency here and there with how it looks and feels. But like that that fight, the choreography. Oh, it's just amazing. One one thing to know about, like, say, these fights is this is the the swan song of the art form of the various forms of lightsaber fighting, because by the time it gets to The Force Awakens and Rey and Kylo Ren, there's nobody left to give, you know, lightsaber dueling instruction. That's why those two just kind of hack at each other. Even Kylo Ren, he's just bigger. 
so he can hit harder, but he's not really, he doesn't really have the same fluid, almost dancing style that, that Anakin and Obi-Wan have. So here they're older, yes, but they still have a lot of that, those signature spins and twirls and moves and things that we got spoiled on with the prequel movies that by the time the sequel movies come out, they're completely gone. Yeah, they're schooled in all those fighting forms where Obi-Wan would do the defensive form and then Anakin was the aggressive. Yeah, it was more elegant. That's that's a really good point. That's why I really, I mean, I could just watch the duel, especially with the with the uh, with the other music attached to it, over and over again. Uh, my friend Brad sent me that. Um, he's very into music. He is. Uh, that's that's an understatement to say that Brad is into music. It's actually his living. <laughs> so the fact that he would key in on a different musical take to add additional weight and meaning to a scene that's already great is very fitting for him. But I'll, I, I'll be sure to send you that link as soon as we're. We're done here, so you can also enjoy. Very cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think the the only thing we, we probably need to that's left to talk about is the Qui-Gon thing. So, you know, at first, I, you know, like I said, I was a little disappointed. I'm like, oh, Qui-Gon's going to drop some profound knowledge and wisdom or he's going to intervene in the story. <laughs> no, he's like, it's, hey, it's you want to take a walk? Yeah, it's like, hey, let's go take a walk. You want to take a walk? Let's go. Uh, and I was like, I was kind of. We all want to be kinda, on that walk, Qui-Gon. Well, took you long enough. Beginning to think you'd never come. I was always here, Obi-Wan. You just were not ready to see. Come on, you've got a ways to go. Yeah, I know. But then I was kind of like, okay, well, what I take from that is he's at this enlightened state where it's just simple living. He doesn't need anything is not there's no profound knowledge it's just hey we're just we're just doing this thing we're just gonna take a walk <laughs> so i thought that was uh that's how i interpreted that yeah what was your take on qui-gon like we had mentioned before that obi-wan had come to a place now where he was using and feeling the force where he had shut him off shut himself off from it before even though he had to really beat up anakin to get there in this one he it, there's there's a real finality to it in terms of knowing that Anakin is gone. My tra- my friend is truly dead. And so whatever was weighing on his heart about the condition that he left Anakin in, I think even though Anakin turned into Darth Vader and he left Darth Vader in pieces in this one, there's still a sense of peace to it because at least Anakin isn't suffering anymore. He's truly gone in terms of his, his outlook on it and his own words on it. All of those things were probably roadblocks in terms of him being able to connect with with Qui-Gon. Yeah, getting that 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 off his chest, the I'm yeah. sorry for for all of it, you know, because yes. there's you know, it's like a, you know, I took on your training, I wasn't really prepared. I I didn't do the best job. I chopped off your legs. I ch- you know, there's a whole list of just, you know, everything and and I think that really unburdened him if you will. He got that off his chest. He tried to of course he didn't get it. Anakin is just consumed by the hatred, so he couldn't get through to him, but he tried, and that trying really helped him out. And that opened him up and made it so that he could commune with Qui-Gon, and I think there are still some some lessons that his old master has for him, so that when the time comes, he can find his own peace to become more powerful than he could ever imagine. <laughs> exactly. So they, there was a lot of tying up that, that, that happened there at the end that plays into the trilogy. I think the writing was, you can tell they put a lot of thought into it, um, just like we do. <laughs> but they can actually write shows and stuff. So that, yeah, um, really good stuff, man. 
overall, I wouldn't really reserve recommending this to anybody. If you're a Star Wars fan, I think I'd recommend it to you. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more Star Wars properties coming out. I have seen where some people are like, we're getting too much Star Wars. I'm like, you know what? I'll, I'll let you know when I've had enough Star Wars. You just keep giving it to me and and I'll let you know when we're, when I'm done eating. Yeah, I, I don't I don't see that at all. I want more. But at the same time, I know I think Disney is struggling where to go and how to do it. And we never got to the the Ahsoka theory, but we'll have to talk about that at some point. But just, uh, you know, maybe Dave Filoni and John Favreau are potentially retconning the sequel trilogy and, and redoing it um, in a sense through these shows is is the the essence of that theory and uh if that happens that's just very interesting because i think a guy like dave filoni who who you know the writer's room the the creative force of star wars i don't think was really consulted in the whole sequel trilogy didn't really have a plan for that and it didn't honor george's vision so i'd i'd love to see them go that direction with the shows and just expand out in that way or are they going to try to go old republic high high republic um you know some of these other eras or you know, it's going to be interesting to see which direction they go and what works and what doesn't work. Agreed. There are a few things that are announced. The next one is Andor, because that's in August and this is June. So I don't think Ahsoka is going to pop up in between there. We also know that Taika Waititi is the next confirmed director for um, an actual movie. And it will not include involve any characters we know, we've, we've learned. That's what he has said. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it's got to still feel like Star Wars. It's got to have those kind of landmarks like planet names and ship types and that used universe feeling that Star Wars usually conjures up. But once you do that, uh, I think we're okay. It's going to be very interesting to see if that works or not. Can Star Wars work without something that we that's known? I like the originality of just expanding the world and doing something new. So I'm pulling for them. All right, Mark. Well, I think if you're interested, we'll pick this up perhaps later in preparation for Andor as that gets ready to come out. Let's do it. Be, I'm, I'm excited. The trailer looked awesome and we'll see what they do. For this one, this is the end of Obi-Wan Kenobi's first season. If people wanted to find you on social media, Mark, where would they look? Jiggy Nut on Twitter. And I can be found at Paul V. Daily or at Pod Clubhouse on Twitter or at our website, podclubhouse.com. If you like this podcast, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so other people can find it and uh, enjoy it and listen to our Generation X-infused theories. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.